is the founder of Conscious Creator, a creative business supporting environmental, social change, and wellness projects. She is a designer, facilitator, researcher, and artist. You have so many caps, Ariel. You're one (laughs) special person. So we are in conversation with Ariel. She's going to be sharing about her life, her mindset, what made her a creator, and some nuggets of wisdom as we learn about her. Let's get started. Thanks, Sarah. You're welcome, Ariel. So yeah, just right before we started, we were talking about the journey of a creator and how a creator needs to be a little different than our normal selves. A higher level of resilience, a higher level of bravery and courage. And you were about to say something and we jumped into the studio. (laughs) (laughs) So I would first like to log that in and yeah, let's begin. Yeah. So um, first and foremost, thanks so much for having me. I am a big fan of the podcast. Uh, When we met, I listened through all the episodes and I just think what you're talking about is so beautiful and relevant for so many people. So I'm just so happy to be here. And um, yeah, I'm excited to share my story. You were asking about what it takes to be an entrepreneur. And, you know, I was raised by entrepreneurs and I think that's a really fascinating experience because from a very young age, I kind of had this mindset that it was possible to do that and live a happy life because the people that I was, you know, growing up with day in, day out in my home, my mom and dad were building a business and enjoying it and kind of showing how much they really appreciated the independence of mind that comes with um, having control over a vision that you're really passionate about. Yeah. So, and I also saw how much of a struggle it is and how you have to be ready for that. And you have to be ready to um, really weather different periods of abundance followed by scarcity, you know, possibility followed by doubt. And there's this really strong mindset of belief in yourself that you just have to embody every single day in order to get get through the like weeks, months, years <laughs> yeah. of running a business. So. Um, I'll always remember my parents, especially both my mom and my dad, every week, month, sometimes every day, they would tell me, you know, you can do whatever you want to do in life. And we just want to see you happy. And I didn't realize until I got older how special that was of an experience to be told that regularly growing up. Mm -hmm. My parents would always be saying, you know, you're going to be a CEO one day. And we also think that you'll be a famous artist, just like Taylor Swift, and maybe you'll be a scientist. They they told all these stories about me to me that were so diverse and so ambitious that somewhere deep down inside my mind, I came to believe that it was all possible. <laughs> yeah, that is beautiful. And, you know, to to the listeners, if you remember, we talk about subconscious programming a lot and how this all starts in childhood. And by the age of seven, we have a lot of our beliefs formed and it's a lens through which we see the world. It's a lens through which we see ourselves. If we have the right beliefs, we see ourselves in a different way. And if we have the wrong beliefs, we also see ourselves in a way that may not have the right trajectory of life that we aim to have. And it's so beautiful how your parents have been putting this in your mind since early days. 
and it has translated. You have a business now. You're a creator. And yeah, it's beautiful how the dots connect. Absolutely. I think it's the type of courage and ambition that has helped me get through life and get to a place where I'm really living in my dreams. I'm not going to lie. I think every once in a while it's gotten me in trouble. (laughs) Yeah. The hustle of a founder. (laughs) Yeah, you know. um, But I think it's the the greatest gift my parents ever gave me. I also kind of learned by example because my parents, my mom's an accountant. My dad's a business um, owner. Mm -hmm. And they're also both jazz musicians and they love to dance. And so I grew up in a household where I was watching my parents kind of move between very professional careers and more community-based art spaces. And Mm -hmm. as a child, I got really used to that. And I laugh often because I I realized I became my parents. I have this business now that is half, you know, (laughs) professional design and facilitation. And then the other side of the business is art making and production. And I realized that that became my comfort zone at a really young age. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And just to give audience some context, um, if you were, if you can speak a little bit about your journey before conscious creation and how you were working in corporate, so they can understand what you mean with your business side and then your creative side. Yeah. Can I tell you? Can I give go even further back? Maybe. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. Okay. Um. I grew up in the arts, so I grew up studying music and dance um, of all shapes and sizes. We moved around a lot um, from the Saskatchewan to Alberta, Florida, Arizona. We kind of had this big migration as a family through North America. But the thing that was always constant was music, dancing Mm -hmm. and and, and music, and also this commitment to cultural learning. My family was always attending cultural events, community-based events, spiritual and religious events, just really curious about different ways to connect with communities. Because if you're, you know, migrating and immigrating a lot, these kind of cultural, spiritual, religious centers are great places to become a part of community, right? Yeah, yeah. And that is a through line kind of followed me into university. And so in university, Mm -hmm. I had the chance of studying something called an interdisciplinary degree. So you have a question and then you can take classes from any major to answer the question. So my question was about how can you make community, community community-based traditional art forms financially sustainable for the artists who want to do it? And so I studied music and art and anthropology, political science, business. And yeah, I was kind of all over the map. Um, And I was focusing specifically in West African traditional arts. And that's a whole other story to tell. Mm. But um, the truth is I couldn't find an answer to the question um, other than Mm. educational immersions or some type of, you know, cultural tourism. So if I can ask you, why do you think you didn't find the answer? Because it's complicated. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's not that simple right away, hey? 
It's not that simple. You know, community-based art kind of pre-exists before the type of economies that we live in now. Community-based traditional arts used to be forms of healers, storytellers, that before, you know, monetary exchanges drove our economies, were really, you know, through trades and transactions of services. So if an artisan Mm -hmm. or community healer was they're in service of the community, perhaps they'd then receive housing, food in exchange, right? But now that we have a monetary system that pins us down, Mm -hmm. I think the arts communities don't have that same ability to just serve as a supporting um, role and in exchange receive care back, right? right? And so I got to that point in the research and I was like, oh gosh, I actually don't know how to solve this. <laughs> <laughs> so coming out of university, I became a community-based anthropologist. Um, I had really kind of latched on to anthropology and how mm-hmm. rich it is. And there was a great community-based anthropology group in Tucson, Arizona. And so that kind of became my first early career. And I was still doing art, but in nights and weekends, rehearsals, you know, that was the beginning of the kind of separation and compartmentalizing of different passions that I had. So, you know, daytime. That is when you started. Yeah, go ahead. Started to become like your parents, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Started to bring that into your life. Exactly. That's beautiful. Mm -hmm. And so I I started doing kind of daytime community anthropology, nighttime arts. And then I wasn't making a ton of money as a community anthropologist. And so I got this opportunity to go corporate. And at first it was just a job to make money. But I would walk into my boss's office every other day and tell him we should start a research and development department. You're like, I'm going to make this my playground. We can do something exciting. Yes, way too bold. Um, But eventually he said yes. And we started this R&D department and it was based in anthropological research. And so we used, yeah, we used anthropology uh, methods to then understand the communities that the company was serving a bit better. And you know, try to improve our products and services. And when that happened, Mm -hmm. I realized there was this whole field of design, human-centered design, um, that was available to me in a more lucrative career in corporate spaces. Mm -hmm. Um, But that would still allow me to do some of this kind of community-based, human-centered work, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Wow, it's so, I just find it extremely fascinating that how everything tied in. There's this saying that I've been meditating on a lot recently. That's called, it says, you can only see the chain of destiny one link at a time. Oh, that's and, so beautiful. Isn't it? And yeah. when, I t- when I play the story back, it sounds so easy and beautiful. But the reality is the emotional experience of walking through this life story was filled and continues to be filled with doubt, uncertainty, fear, 
there were a lot of people that told me during my interdisciplinary degree that it was a risky move. They mm-hmm. weren't sure what I was going to do with my life. Yeah. Um, and even my parents at points, you know, and I remember telling people like, just trust me. I think I, I think this is going somewhere. But I was also telling myself that, you know, there was yeah. <laughs> a lot of doubt inside of me that also believed, you know, maybe I needed to take a different path that was more certain and clear. But I just never felt particularly happy when I was in those really clear cut, obvious spaces, you know? Yeah. So, um, yeah, go ahead. First of all, you are a fantastic speaker. I can just let you do the whole podcast and just listen to you. <laughs> you are so articulate, beautiful, and yeah, you're just a fantastic speaker. Oh, and you. I'm just drawn by the story of how this all came together. And the question that comes to my mind is that I know this journey must have been filled with doubts because everybody around you mm-hmm. is saying that, what are you doing? They're adding those doubts to you. And you still don't have the entire path paved for you. You're paving it yourself. So with the challenges, comes a time when you think that, is it all worth it? Is it all going to work out? Or is this just wishful thinking? So what was it within you that was able to drive you forward? Mm. Regardless, as you said, that was able to allow you to weather the storms and weather the various weathers of life. I definitely think a supportive family and friend group is huge. Um, And there is some level of privilege in it. Um, My family went through our own ups and downs, uh, good and bad periods. But overall, I would say my family has a fair amount of security and and, um, easiness in our life. And so having that foundation of some amount of privilege too, Mm -hmm. I think is important to say out loud um, because it's hard to make those bolder moves when you're always in uh, kind of fight or flight mode, right? Yeah, yeah. And so I think there's some level of that. The other is while that is true, I'm also not a trust fund baby Mm -hmm. and I always felt, you know, I have to make this work because there's no plan B. <laughs> there's no there's no fallback plan. You there's know, there's plan A, there then there's plan A. Yeah. There may not be any inheritance. You know, you gotta figure it out. You gotta you gotta make it work. Yeah. And um that really drove me. I went and did my master's degree after a while and went into debt to do that. Mm. and took a job with uh, Deloitte, Monitor Deloitte called Doblin. It was an innovation consulting firm. Mm -hmm. And that's when I really got into corporate design. And I'll be honest, like I loved that work, but there was something missing for me. I really have always loved environmental human rights and wellness work. And Mm -hmm. the smaller organizations can't really afford those, you know, more expensive consulting firms, but my employers were so supportive and me kind of taking some side projects outside of that job. And that's really the foundation of what eventually became Conscious Creator was all of these, you know, side projects and side hustles I was doing with the environmental human rights and wellness communities 
that was actually outside of my nine to five. I would take unpaid vacation and go do these facilitations. But I had a guardian angel. And I think that that's something that is worth saying as well. Several guardian angels along the way. (laughs) Everybody stay focused. Guardian angels in human form. Yes. Absolutely. Because, you know, there's people along the way, the mentor of mine, I met him while I was in my master's degree and we were doing some human rights work. And he says, you know, have you ever thought about doing this full time? And in my mind, I wasn't going to go into human rights because I wanted to have a more steady income in corporate design. And, you know, I told myself that's how I was going to pay off my student loans and all of that. And he respected that. But even though I t- even though I went into corporate spaces, he kept inviting me. He kept inviting me to go facilitate yeah. for different human rights organizations he worked with. He kept inviting me to yeah. help him run a social change not-for-profit. And he knew I couldn't do it full-time, but it was because of him that I think I never fully let go of that passion. And as a result, it was still there when I was ready to recommit to it fully. Um, Yeah. He saw potential in you when you weren't able to see that potential in you. And I think that is so precious for anybody to experience. Yeah. And I've had a lot of people like that in life who, even before I was ready to take the bigger bet, saw the possibility of it. And would just keep feeding me either positive encouragement, motivation, or, you know, really material opportunities to to keep Mm -hmm. working and and pouring energy into those things that I love. So I have to say it's a lot, a lot of where I am now is because of the relationships with those people who who believed in the vision of a fully kind of integrated version of myself before I even did. So Yeah. That is so valuable. And I, I'm very aware that not everybody has that experience. Not everybody have those people who believe in them. And it can be really tricky. It can be challenging. And you, if you're all by yourself and you do not have those people who believe in you, it could be that you elongate your time in a state where you're not happy. You could be in a corporate world and you feel that you have to be there and you stay there for five more years and you're not happy. But when life gives you these garden angels and, you know, while I'm saying I'm aware that not everybody has it, I just also want to reiterate that we may not have garden angels, but situations, thoughts coming from other people, listening to a song or reading a quote, you can be guided in so many ways. So for Ariel, it was different for you because you had people coming in. It was really different for me because nobody knew what I was doing. Mm -hmm. I felt like I'm in a shell. I felt like I wasn't sharing anything with anybody. Mm. And what was guiding me were these quotes that I would read on Instagram, situations that I would be in and how my mind would talk to me. And that is what made me take that push. And, you know, sometimes I would see numbers and they would be guiding me. And it's so unusual, right? Because it's not physical. But they had a massive impact. And I'm pretty sure if I didn't have those guidances, I wouldn't be here right now. Mm. And I wouldn't be facilitating um, some. But yeah, yeah, um, those 
I, yeah. If I can just, you know, add in, I really feel that. And I think the things that are the biggest challenges in our life are also the possibilities for the biggest positive transformations. Um, Mm. the thing that I struggled with the most growing up was not belonging to any single community. We immigrated a lot, right? Yeah. We, I think we didn't live anywhere yeah. more than six or seven years. And so we were just constantly adapting to a new reality. So I always kind of felt like an alien, like half in, half out, partially belonging, but not really fully mm-hmm. belonging anywhere. And in... Yeah. It with a mindset shift, that was actually the biggest strength in my adult life is being able to move across different contexts, right? But the mentality of that can be either really challenging or really kind of opportunity-based, right? I also yes. went through some pretty, uh, some bigger health challenges in my young, late teens, early 20s. And something that helped me to overcome the health challenges I was working through was meditation and these kind of, I don't know if you'd call them hypnosis tapes, but they were like deep meditation Mm -hmm. tapes. Yeah, they are. They are when you're accessing much deeper levels of your mind and they're called hypnosis. I usually use the term transcendental meditation and I know they are so powerful, so I'm so excited that you're talking about them right now. Um, So yeah, how did they help you overcome your health challenges? So I had, through different experiences I had in life, I had some habits that just weren't very good for my health, Mm -hmm. and um, I was really struggling to break out of them. You know that situation where you know something's not working, you know something's wrong? Yes. But you don't know how to get out? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, and so you almost feel like prisoner to a reality that you know is suboptimal, you know? Right. And so I found this tape and it would start with these, you know, deep breaths, kind of meditation down into this deeper consciousness level. Mm -hmm. And then it would walk you through, you know, 15, 20 minutes of like a new way of thinking about that same thing. That was reprogramming. And yeah. I would I listened to it every day for 5 years. Wow. Every day for 5 years and I can attest that it literally changed my mind. Like I look back on the person I was in my late teens and it, it's just a person I don't I'm still the same person but that aspect of myself I just don't relate to it anymore where I was like it really changed me almost permanently. Um, Wow. And when when I had that experience, I just. It made me realize that you because you we are our thoughts, anything is possible if we're willing to kind of take those baby steps every day, you know? (laughs) Yeah, I I know. (laughs) Um, You know, what's really special, Ariel, that. This just happens to be exactly what Psalm preaches. You are your Mm -hmm. thoughts. We all have a programming. And the struggle that you experienced where you were in a cycle of habits, which were not favorable to you, they weren't giving you a good result. In fact, it was quite the opposite. How do 
get away from that and reprogram yourself and emerge as a newer, better version for yourself. It took you five years, and I think that is a good time. I am also pretty aware that your old self and your new self probably are completely different. Absolutely. Through that programming. And I feel like it's a lifelong journey too. Right before going full time with Conscious Creator, which was about a year and a half, two years ago, um, I was experiencing a different kind of health challenge. I had been just so burned out for about five years, Mm -hmm. really high stress environments, a lot of pressure on myself to pay off my student debt and succeed in organizational roles. I was insomnial for about three years and, you know, just everything. Just really, I, I had found myself back in a difficult health space and it was impacting everything in my life, really. Um, it really does. Yeah. I had been going to acupuncture to try to help me through it. And it acupuncture helped a lot. But I realized that um, the acupuncture was only treating the symptoms. And if I really wanted to be well again, I needed to make mm-hmm. some really foundational changes in my life. Um, and that was kind of the second wave, I think, of like deep psychological reprogramming that I've been through. And it happened in my like late 20s, early 30s, where I had to tell myself that I didn't need to hustle anymore. I didn't need to prove. I didn't need to be a hero. But all I needed to do was actually kind of surrender to the process Mm -hmm. of life and change the story I wanted to tell about myself. Maybe I don't need to be you know, exceptional. Maybe I don't need to be a hero. I can be a helper. And Mm -hmm. I can, and that rest is part of work, you know? And so when I committed to that and I went full-time with Conscious Creator, the first thing that Conscious Creator offered to me was a space for me to rest. The first three months of the business, I just slept, you know? (laughs) I just slept. I, I, I am so grateful for you talking about this because first of all you're talking about this transition that happened in your late 20s early 30s I am 30 so (laughs) I understand what you're saying there is a transition that takes place and it's a change from within and you understand that you can rest and you understand that you don't have to be the champion of the world Mm -hmm. and that rest is essential for you to become the master that you want to be if I want to do something extraordinary in my life, and if I keep pushing myself prematurely for it, I'm just going to exhaust myself. Mm-hmm. So it's okay if I'm not the best or if, okay, I'm, if I'm not great. I don't have to beat myself up for it. I don't have to feel lesser than anything or inadequate in any way. I can allow myself to rest, grow in a natural way, and then get in a place where I feel like, okay, I think... I am doing something that is of value and I'm doing the best that I can in my being and my best potential is shining. I think that is important versus versus being a part of the race that we are all usually a part of, especially during the 20s and, mm-hmm. you know, especially in corporate areas. I really relate to that. There's this book I love called You Can Heal Your Body which is a spinoff from the book, You Can Heal Your Life. And um, it has mantras associated with different areas of pain in your body. 
And when I looked through it, I realized that all of the areas of pain in my body, a lot of them were related to mantras about trusting Mm -hmm. in the process of life. And I realized through that reflection that I had been in a mode of exerting my will on the world, trying to exert my will rather than kind of surrendering to this Mm -hmm. process of life in a more gentle way, you know? And when I stopped exerting my will on things, I was actually able to receive what was actually meant Mm -hmm. for me, right? Kind of the mindset shift of like trying to change something to become for you versus falling back into the core of who you are and becoming this receiver for whatever's Mm -hmm. out there that already resonates with it, you know? And going back to this concept of, you know, compartmentalizing parts of ourselves, I'm an artist, a designer, a facilitator, a researcher, and there's so many code switches between those identities. You Mm -hmm. know, we're told a lot of messages about, oh, you know, a facilitator is supposed to be this way, and an artist is supposed to be this way, and a designer is supposed to be this way, and a researcher is supposed to be this way. And when you're in private companies, you're supposed to act this way. When you're in social change and human rights organizations, you're supposed to act this way. There's all of these messages that we receive every day about how all these different things require us to be different Mm -hmm. and be in a certain way. And when I let go of feeling like I needed to perform Mm -hmm. the right version of myself in each of those spaces... I realized there was this huge community around me who already thought the fully integrated version of myself, the something in between all those spaces, that there's space for that. There, there's people who want that, that there's, it's not for everyone. Like conscious creator is not for everyone. Yeah. I will tell you that straight up. The conscious creator is not for everyone, but mm-hmm. the people that it is for really love it, you know? Mm-hmm. And And those people reinforce this validation that I feel of being able to live in a fully integrated version of myself. And that's just such a huge gift, you know? Yeah, it is really beautiful that you spoke about how conscious creator is not for everybody because a founder identifies what they have created and who they have created it for. So it is valuable that you talked about it firsthand that your product is not something that everybody might find useful, but the ones that do, they really like it. And as a founder, I appreciate and commend you for that because SOM is not for everybody as well. It's for some particular people who are looking to get unstuck in their life. And the niche is very particular. And so far, I'm understanding that the niche, the kind of people who are attracted to the business are also really particular. And so, yeah. Not every business or not every creation is for everybody. And it's important to identify what is there for you. Yeah. Something I thought about recently was the saying, your new life will cost you your old life. Yeah. I love this phrase, for the new life, the old life has to die. Because it is slightly bittersweet. Mm. Because, you know, the new is something that you're looking forward to. And the old version is a part of you that you are attached to. But it's about shedding that skin. It no longer serves you. And you have to change. And I don't mean that you let go of everything, the good part as well. What I mean is that you have to emerge as a new person. 
and you have to make room for the new. And you also have to make room for the new programming in your mind to become that new version of yourself. Two programmings at one time cannot coexist. The old programming led to your old life, and the new programming is going to lead you to your new life. And, you know, I'm saying it in simple words right now, but the time when I was figuring it out, I felt like I am going through my own crises. <laughs> it, it was a lot. I felt like I had to let go of an older Sarah and I have to become more fierce. And, you know, I have to ask for a space. I have to draw healthy boundaries. I have to sometimes be exceptionally lonely. And it wasn't easy. Mm. It's not easy. But looking back, it was necessary. I had to heal, you know. And sure, connecting to people who helped me heal was important. But it was also really important to allow myself to heal and thrive in solitude, just being by myself. And I don't know if you have experienced that too, just the importance of being by yourself and accepting who you are and letting yourself be raw and authentic to your own self. Because I feel like we hide from ourselves, right? Sometimes we just don't, we are not honest to ourselves. Absolutely. And I can really relate to the thought that sometimes it's a lonely journey. Um, It's, it's fascinating. And you know, mm-hmm. somewhat spiritual in a way. But when we think about the unified field, yeah, and I do believe that we belong to this unified field um, of all creation, even when alone, we're never alone. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the loneliest moments, we are so connected just by energy, atom, electron, to the inanimate objects in our surrounding, to the plants, to the animals in our surrounding. Mm -hmm. And so I have this experience of really understanding what you mean when you say the emotional loneliness of healing sometimes. Mm -hmm. And it's coupled with this feeling that we're never alone, that even in those lonely moments, we're connected to this unified field. One of the things that was the most powerful in my healing was learning how to treat myself as nicely as I treated everything around me, giving myself space to rest, giving myself space to heal and and take time and sleep well and be, you know, nourished with great food. I feel so guilty right now just thinking about how I've been treating myself the past few days. <laughs> You're right. You know, um, I do take care of everybody else around me and everything else around me. I sometimes talk to my plants. I'm not weird. I just think they hear me. (laughs) So, and I know everything is energy and the, you know, your words matter. So sometimes I say, thank you for thriving and thank you for this new flower and thank you that you are growing well. And, you know, just how you were saying that you started to allow that space for your own self to heal, to rest I started to feel guilty because I know I've not been doing that. And, you know, let me be honest with you. I have good and bad days, too. Some nights I sleep well. Some nights I don't. Mm -hmm. Some days I eat really healthy food. Other days I eat chips for dinner. You know, (laughs) like it's just it's a reality. And so, you know, perfect is the enemy of great. I think one of the powerful things is to think about how to just take small steps every day Mm -hmm. and not judge ourselves for the imperfection. Um, that inevitably happens in all of our life journeys. You know, this obsession with doing things correctly, I think is actually really unproductive. Mm -hmm. Just do it. 
and expect failure and expect good and bad days and then just start again the next day, you know, and keep going. Yeah. Uh, people have asked me a lot, even in the work I do, which is really about social impact and, you know, trying to imagine a new a new society that's more environmentally um, friendly and, and good to people and supportive of our wellness. It requires us to push back on systems that aren't helping us get there. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, you can look at that for the big, you know, big world society view or just at our own personal lives, you know. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important to take actions within your personal safety. Yeah. You know, like depending on who you are and how much privilege you have or finances or uh, the different realities of your life. Mm -hmm. only you can answer the question of what are the small steps that you can take in your personal safety towards these images of a better better future whether it's for yourself or your community or the the larger world yeah and then don't be obsessed with the outcome you know instead commit to the idea that success is showing up in the process of that decision making every single day yeah and because we're also not in control, we're not in control of a lot of things. Yeah, you know, I agree. It's re- it's really important to allow yourself to be, you know. And I understand that we may sometimes put a lot of standards on ourselves. We have to do this. We have to do this this way. We have to do that. We have to do that that way. But in reality that is only going to result in a lot of pressure that you put on yourself, which may translate into a toxic, if I may say, internal dialogue that, oh my God, I'm no good. I didn't do this correctly. Over time, we're going to start wiring ourselves in a way that we are unkind to us. So we really have to catch ourselves when we are doing that. And, you know, just yesterday, I was reading about the negative bias that we all have in ourselves. We're always a little bit more cautious of the negative things that are happening around us. It's, you know, it's almost like a categorization of our thoughts. Any negative event takes more of our attention. And it is a necessity in, it was a necessity in our earlier days as homo sapiens, when we were in the wild, we had to keep an eye out for danger. So we had to keep an eye out for the negative events that are happening around us in order to stay safe. Right now, we are in civilized communities, living at homes. This hardwired negative bias may not serve us. And we have to identify it and we have to work with it in a way that we can transform ourselves into the people that we need to be today. There is an evolution required within ourselves as well. And instead of having that negative bias that is built into us, we have to bring out a positive bias too, you know, looking at the positives that are happening around us, looking at the positive people around us, being thankful for them, having positive reinforcements in our mind saying, if we have done something well, we go like, you know, great job, you did it. And that dialogue will then reprogram us. And that reprogramming means we have an, we have a different life altogether. It's so, it's so true. I've heard that called the five to one rule. In, in behavioral design, we call it the five to one rule. So, um, which means we feel a negative 
situation five times as strongly as we feel a positive piece of influence. And that's fascinating, right? It's really fascinating. If one and and in that category, negative also just includes suggestions, like neutral suggestions. So it doesn't have to be like a strictly negative, negative event where something Mm -hmm. bad happened to you. But say receiving like critical feedback or a suggestion from someone is also mentally experienced as a negative experience, right? Mm -hmm. And we experience these things five times as strongly as a positive comment. And in behavioral design, when we like convert that to services or products or customer engagement strategies, the principle is to make sure that people have five positive experiences, comments, pieces of feedback for every one neutral or negative piece of feedback that they might receive in the experience. Mm -hmm. And I started applying this to my all aspects of my life. I kept my eyes open for when I was seeing neutral versus negative Mm -hmm. or positive things. And even in how, you know, I communicate with colleagues and family members that for every suggestion, every, you know, piece of feedback that there's five positive things said just as a way to neutralize the kind of impact of the negative yeah on our nervous system and that Mm -hmm. it's so subconscious it's this like deep nervous system thing you know yeah Yeah, absolutely (laughs) no this is so valuable and I like the idea of five to one that design that you were talking about and you know to our listeners if you know something that popped up in my head was that for everything that happened wrong, how about five things that you're grateful for that happened right? Mm-hmm. You're showing gratitude and you're counting your blessings and your nervous system is going to thank you for that because <laughs> you're right away going to start feeling healthier and happier. And just yesterday, by the way, a whole episode is coming on negative bias and you know we're going to get comprehensive. But just to give you a snippet of what happened yesterday was that I was in a networking event. It was virtual and my camera was not on because I was uploading certain files. However, you know, I was there. I was present. I thanked the moderator for bringing the enthusiasm and the energy into the event. Then I thanked the people I spoke to. I was interactive. I spoke about song with passion. There were so many things I did correctly, but I was still thinking about how my camera is not on and what an inconvenience it is for people who wanted to have a more interactive conversation with me. So the event, you know, happened. I was done with the event. I go on, I take a shower, I have a meal. Guess what I'm thinking about? How my camera was not on. That is what made me feel a little inadequate as a business person. I'm thinking that, you know, that was a massive opportunity and people must not have liked me not having my camera on. And I should have a better way of doing work, et cetera. But then I caught myself and I said, hang on, for the past 90 minutes in the shower, having my meal, all I thought about was my camera was not on. That's not right. My camera was not on, not because I just didn't want it to have it on. It was not on because there were some technical difficulties, but I still managed to be present in the event. I thanked the moderator. I held myself with integrity. I spoke to people with kindness and I finished the event and I didn't come out earlier. I gave it my, you know, gave it good time. So I should be thankful to myself for doing things. And 
I changed that internal dialogue. Mm-hmm. And, I, and that is when the negative bias was born, this episode seed in my head that I'm going to talk about this negative bias because look at, look at how much it is within me. It's hardwired. As human beings, we are hardwired to have negative bias. And though I'm always talking about subconscious mind programming and I myself do meditations which are transcendental and so powerful in programming myself, I can very easily fall back to the default system of thinking for myself, which is focused on negative. And so I have to work on myself and catch myself and change that narrative within me. Because if I'm upset with myself, right after having that meal, I'll probably just sit on my sofa and watch (laughs) watch something on Instagram and not work. But because I changed that, I was like, you know what, now I'm going to go and work. So I worked on the podcast, I did some emails, and I felt better about myself. And I felt good that I was kind to myself, you know? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. I have so much to say about that. Um, I guess where I can start is when I started my most recent healing journey in my late 20s through the suggestion of a friend of mine, they told me to start a worry journal. And for the time period, it was so helpful for me. Because I had so many disruptive thoughts in my mind that were just kind of zooming around. I needed to get them down on paper. And so every day I would write down my worries. And just as a way to get it out of my head and on something physical that I could then put away. Mm -hmm. Over time, though, I actually changed the way I journal. And so now I try to journal with a positive mindset. And for example, when I do a journal of a day, instead of writing down all the things I'm worried about, I try to say what I think went well. And I try Mm -hmm. to tell myself how I, you know, celebrate myself for how good things I may have done in the day. And even where I see worries or areas of improvement or, you know, continuous growth, yeah, I try to frame it as that, as the opportunity, so -hmm. that I'm excited to show up in the work. And I think that that's it is like some might say it's delusional and maybe there's some level of delusion in it, but delusion can be helpful because we are our thoughts, right? And if we can program ourselves to be excited to show up in the hard work, Mm -hmm. suddenly the work will get done faster. I've had Mm -hmm. slow times in my business and a negative bias is to say, oh, you know, business is really slow right now. Mm-hmm. But a different way of thinking about it is, wow, I have so much abundance of time. Yeah. What am I going to do with it? Mm-hmm. And when I have that mindset, I complete creative projects. I reach out to people in my network and have really fascinating conversations that usually end up being the beginning of a new project and a new yeah. piece of work, right? But I have to be willing to show up with a positive mindset in those areas of slowness, those areas of uncertainty, those, you know, times of challenges. Mm, Right. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, you were talking about how some people think it's delusional that you are trying to be positive in a negative situation. I have a message for them. Because I feel like we all have that person within us that says that, you know, it really doesn't make sense, Sarah. You're trying to be positive. It's also negative. But my message is that will it serve me if I focus and dwell upon a negative event? 
is it going to do anything for me? If the answer is no, I should leave it. Will it serve me? If I look at the positive that's happening in the situation or make it positive, even if it is negative, will it make me energized? Will it increase my momentum? Will it make me want to take action? Answer is yes. Okay, I'm going to use this tool. Even if it's delusional, so what? Inner critique, take a seat. Because <laughs> I feel like we all have that inner critique, right? Who wants to come in and say, let's be realistic. Let's be reasonable. The thing is that sometimes being realistic and being mm. reasonable means you're working unfavorably with yourself. And you have to think that, you know what, it's not as bad as it seems. I'm still going to focus on the positive. Even if there is one tiny bit of positivity, I'm going to put the spotlight on that. And that is how you start training yourself to be positive biased. There is mm -hmm. just so much. There is so much we can talk about, Ariel. Like, I can talk to you for three hours. And we wouldn't be done <laughs> because there are so many things I can relate with. Whatever you have said today is extremely powerful. And I would love to circle back to the challenge you experienced with your health and how you used hypnosis, also known as transcendental meditations, for five years to transform yourself. Sure, yeah. And bring yourself in a place where you do not have any of those unhealthy habits, which cause you to have those diseases in the first place. Mm -hmm. Would you like to share some of that more? Yeah, I think what I enjoyed the most about that process was how easy it felt. Not that going through health challenges ever feels easy, but mm. the there's so much healthcare that's all about diagnosis and treatment, which is really action oriented and mm -hmm. really about will and habit and how mm -hmm. much you're willing to show up inside of behavior change and kind of force it through, right? Yeah. What I love so much about the process of just listening to meditations was I would often listen to them right before I was going to bed. And so, and I would fall asleep to it and just wake up in yeah. the morning. And it just felt so easy to the extent that I don't remember doing it, you know, mm -hmm. like it was yeah. just kind of allowing myself to fall into a space of being willing to receive the message and trust that eventually over time it would happen. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I think that that's a big mindset, both in health and just in life in general, is yeah. we're really, if we're really attached to the outcome, we're going to be frustrated every day we haven't arrived at the outcome, right? 100%. But the truth is there will always be some something. <laughs> There's always going to be something, you know, There's something that something. isn't exactly the vision. And, yeah. you know, what does what do our lives look like in a mindset of kind of anti-ambition and just being mm -hmm. really focused on the small things every mm -hmm. day and surrendering to the process. And yeah. for me, uh, Transcendental Meditation is an example of that. It's an example of, okay, you know, I'm on a journey. I'm growing somewhere. I'm not sure mm -hmm. where it's going to end yet, mm -hmm. but I trust that showing up inside of it every day is going to mm -hmm. take me closer, you know? Yeah. This is really powerful. And 
going back to what Ariel was saying, how allowing yourself to heal and how meditation is so natural to us. Also, I feel like it really doesn't take much effort. You can easily make it a part of your routine. And it's true that when you initially start, it may be slightly difficult to put yourself in a calm place and to, you know, just deep breathing and getting into a place where you come into complete calmness. It can be slightly um, tricky initially, but once you start doing it, it has massive return of investment. You know, I wish it was a little bit more commonly spoken about in the healthcare system. It's a mission in my life. (laughs) I want to make that happen. You know, it's something people can do for free and everybody deserves to heal. Yeah, there's so much in there. Um, and even if you just think about um, different types of, of testing where, you know, in one in part of the study, people receive medication and then the other, uh, some type of placebo. And mm-hmm. because of you believe you're going through a healing process, uh, even if you're receiving a placebo, sometimes you feel better, right? And that power of intention, I think, is really, really strong. I have a friend, Richard, he tells me he speaks to his molecules every day. And the first time he told me I giggled and then I realized, (laughs) yeah, the the first time he told me I giggled and then I realized that was actually really powerful because what he's doing is every day he's, you know, centering with his body and saying, you know, I am healthy, I am strong, I am healing, I am, I am well, and that it it really does translate. He's a very um, healthy person. Mm-hmm. I do think there are a lot of people inside the medical system who believe in this stuff. Like mm-hmm. I have a lot of friends who are doctors and nurses who are all about somatic healing and incorporating these alternative, what are now considered alternative methods, but really, mm-hmm. um, you know, could be mainstream. Could I think the mainstream I think, um, prescriptions. Yeah. I think the, um, challenge isn't necessarily the doctors themselves because I think a lot of people who go into medicine believe in the power of thought not everyone but for sure I know for sure there are doctors and nurses who believe in this but the system itself the the economics of of medicine Mm -hmm. um, may not enable practitioners who are working with patients to pursue these types of treatment plans. And I think that Mm -hmm. that's something interesting to look at is more at the systems level. How do we uh, push back maybe on some of the more profit-driven pharmaceutical approaches and Mm -hmm. create space for healthcare practitioners to you know, to be the healers that they are. And I think for a lot of folks in medicine, it would make them want to stay in medicine <laughs> longer, you know, because, yeah. you know, shout out to shout out to the folks that are in that system. It's a difficult one to navigate. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I do agree that it's hard to say who is at fault, mostly for not incorporating more holistic ways of healing. Um, still a lot of work needs to be done, but I'm hopeful that in the future with advancing technologies, with advancing knowledge of the power of meditation, this becomes ubiquitously used. That would be wonderful. That would be extremely useful to people. And the best part is you can meditate without having any tools. You can, mm. once you learn how to meditate, you can do it by yourself for as long as you live. And 
I would love to learn a little bit more about Conscious Creator before letting you go. So if you can tell me that if anybody who's interested in contacting you to learn from the Conscious Creator, what is it that you offer? And also, what is a problem that Conscious Creator is solving for people? Absolutely. I'd love to. On one side of the business, what I'm doing is really, I'm a facilitator. So if people have a transformation process they're going through or need to do some strategic planning or have an event they want to do, they'll bring me in and I will help them either design a process of research and reporting that helps them kind of drive towards this new future they're trying to build. Mm. Or I'll create a way of facilitating a diverse group of people um, to share their stories and share their knowledge and really just build community. Um, so if anyone, yeah, and you know, on the side I do some website and you know communication work. So if yeah. anyone is looking for some type of creative partner um, who mm -hmm. is, you know, wants to help either build a website, communicate, create an event. I'd love yeah. to do that. On the other side of the business, we produce artwork. So we make music um, and uh, we actually use the revenue from the design facilitation research to fund art projects. And that's my way of answering this question we talked about at the beginning of the episode, which is how can you do community-based art in a sustainable way? Conscious Creator is designed to become a bit of the patron of the arts by earmarking our revenue to also support um, and I, art I can attest to Ariel Sim singing so beautifully and how she creates powerful products. You guys should go and check her out on Spotify, Ariel Sim. Details are going to be in the description below. Um, yeah, going back to Ariel now. Thanks so much. Yeah, so... I also have a program called Design Your Future. So if there's mm -hmm. anyone listening who's interested in evaluating their ambitions and kind of life goals, uh, what I do is I walk you through a design thinking process around your enablers and you know desires for the future. And we go through this process assuming that you are your most valuable product. So yeah, if anyone's interested in doing that type of coaching, just reach out to me. We have a website, maybe we can share it in the notes on the podcast. And But um, I'm just so happy to be on this episode. Thank you so much for making me a part of Song Talks. Thank you for being here. Yeah, and congratulations on what you're building. It's a really beautiful platform that I know I resonate with and I think a lot of other people do. So keep up the good work. Thank you, Ariel. You're so amazing, beautiful inside out. And this was such a powerful conversation. And thank you for being candid about your struggles and the steps you took along the way to become who you truly are right now. It's beautiful to know, and it's an honor to have you on the show. Thank you so much.